Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The book of Joshua gives the account of how God led His people into the Promised Land. Though they continued to display a lack of faith in God, He remained faithful to the promise He made to Abraham and his descendants. Let's join Pastor Ross now as he guides us through the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 23. Some of you have been looking ahead. Joshua 24 is the last chapter in the book of Joshua. And then we start the book of Judges. Very interesting book, very exciting, very intriguing. Joshua 23, now Heavenly Father, as we consider your God-breathed word from heaven, sent from heaven to earth and to our hearts, we receive it, Lord, we accept it for what it is, not the word of men, but the word of God. Breathe upon us and open the eyes of our understanding so that we can hear what you're saying. You brought us all here to this moment tonight. You know us all by name. You call us by name. Father, help us to hear your voice, to put into practice the things that you tell us individually tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. After 52 years of military service, General Douglas MacArthur gave his farewell address before a joint session of Congress April of 1951. And here's his closing words. He said, I now close my military career and just fade away. An old soldier who tried to do his duty as God gave him the light to see that duty. Goodbye. He was a great man, and tonight, Joshua, now advanced in years, uh, is going to give his farewell speech to the gathered leaders of Israel, and uh, we all have last words, if given the chance, in this life, if that's the way our life goes, that we have some time before we actually depart this life. It is nice to be able to gather folks around our loved ones and to, uh, to speak words of encouragement, to leave a, a legacy of sorts. And that, this is exactly what a lot of Bible heroes do the days before their death. General Joshua will now fade from the earthly scene, but his legacy and his last Words, his exhortations here in the scriptures can never fade away because 1 John 2.17 says, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And so here in chapter 23, Joshua's life is immortalized, his words a living legacy. So let's watch closely here in chapter 23 at how God's people pass the torch from this generation to the next. And 
If you want to have a living legacy, now's the time to start thinking about that when you're alive, when you're, <laughs> when you're living. And uh, we're going to take a look at that. So keep this in mind. How am I going to pass the faith along by looking at this godly example here? Verse 1 through 5. Now, after a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am old and well advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the great sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God Promise you. Let's pause there. If you're taking notes, Roman numeral number one, live with wisdom because there's no escape. There's no escape. The end will come for us all, even this young, mighty, powerful, virile uh, commander of the Lord's army will become old and well advanced in years. And in verse 14, he will say, now I am about to go the way of all the earth. So living a legacy or leaving one requires that you live with wisdom in the present day and to live with the understanding that one day, whoever you are, you will, if God permits, become old and advanced in age. And I think the key to finishing well and to having the dignity and kind of uh, courage and the kind of well-respected life that Joshua can pass on is, is that Joshua lived with wisdom knowing that he would come to this day. When he was young, he knew that this day would come when I will stand before people and I will say, well, that went fast. I am old and well advanced in age. And here I am ready to depart this life and go the way that everybody's appointed to go. When I was sick with cancer and when the doctor tells you that if he can't stop something that you have a year to live, you start considering things. And the thing that encouraged me most really, about uh, my situation was that I wasn't alone in being terminal, if I was, in fact, terminal. And the line that encouraged me is actually from verse 14, 10 years ago. Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. What encouraged me about that was Oh, man, it's not just me. Because when you get diagnosed with the C word, you start just feeling like, uh, hello, world, please stop. I am dying here. I have cancer. All of you have a life. And hello, over here, you know, I'm going to go. And then the way of the earth, meaning every one of them out there 
you know, I mean, I was tempted one time. The doctor was talking about me being terminal, and I was tempted to say, so are you. Yeah, so are we all. <laughs> one time I went to get my medical records, and, and this African woman was behind the counter, African-American woman, and, and I asked for my records, and I said, I really don't have a long time. And I meant... I, I need about 15 minutes here. I need to be moving on. And, and I, then I realized she thought I meant I uh, don't have that much time. But then she says, you know what? She said, sweetheart, none of us have that much time. You know. And it's true the way of the whole earth. And the way to get ready for that time is to, to not live in a dream world thinking that youth and strength and beauty is as much as David had it and Moses had it and Joshua had it, to, to, to realize that, that beauty is fading and youth is fleeting and strength wanes. And Joshua was not distracted from what mattered most. And you know what, folks? He had a good mentor, didn't he? Moses. Listen to this. The Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 describes Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Here's the line. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. So he was making, Moses was making decisions in his uh, days as a younger man with great privilege, great strength, and great wealth. But he didn't let that distract him because why? As a young man, he was... uh, Counting, numbering his days and realizing and asking God for a heart of wisdom so that he might finish well and receive the reward. At the end, he was looking for the reward. Now, what I just quoted to you from Psalm 90, which is Moses' song that says there, the length of our days is 70 years, 80, if we have the strength, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That comes from Moses, who's Joshua's mentor, and that, you know, that got passed on to Joshua. And so he's able at the end of his life to have something to say that matches his life. Don't bother telling somebody at the end of your life how to live when you didn't live it yourself. It's better to just live the legacy. And of course, if you got saved later in life, from what matters is when you came into the knowledge of the truth. Steve Jobs died today. He's wor- he was worth 8.3 billion with a B. Now, he's in eternity where they don't take that kind of money. He was a Buddhist, he claimed. And so his legacy, his words were, we're all part of God. We all have his spirit. There is no face I'm going to go see, but I will join 
the force, the Christ consciousness, you see. We all will have a, a legacy to impart. Joshua's is not, nothing like that. Joshua starts talking about the living God, the maker of heaven and earth. And so I hope I'm not making too much of this before we even dive in, but I just really appreciate this. You know, once the paraphrase, once the major battle was over and the Israelites are in the land, things settled down. Joshua becomes old. He gathers all the elders, leaders, judges, and officials because, you know, it's not very practical to gather the two million people there. But through the leaders, he's going to disseminate this message here, his lasting legacy. And so, uh, along with the same lines of Moses and Paul and Joseph, they lived with an eye toward the future. Uh, So when they said, I am old and well advanced in years, they weren't embarrassed like Hugh Hefner will be. He is old and advanced in years. And he's a disgrace. When we're old and advanced in years, we want people to look at our lives with a sense of dignity. And we pass the torch on. And so um, moving on, if you want then to pass the torch in a godly way, you'll have to live well now to give substance to your final words and any legacy you wish to leave. Secondly, you need to give glory to God. He says there, paraphrase three through five, I'm old and look, take a look back at the miraculous things God has done on your behalf. Look how God has gone to bat for you. Look what he's given you. And so God's faithfulness in the past is his guarantee for the future. So to pass on the legacy, he's reminding these folks, please don't get spiritual amnesia on me. When I go and time has gone on and the miracles may be died down, can you not forget what God has done to bring you into this land? And so that you can go forward, he's saying to folks, with great confidence because your confidence is rooted in God's historical faithfulness to you. And sometimes, often, we forget that, you know. Have you ever seen this little choo-choo train? I saw this when I was first saved. It's a little drama. We're doing this on purpose. There we go. I saw this when I was very brand new in the Lord, and it made perfect sense. Joshua is saying to them, you will not live your life with by your feelings first and get very far. I want you to go forth in confidence and in faith based on the facts. And so what is he doing? He's saying, fact, God has met my needs in the past, that job or the check that suddenly appears that you didn't even think about. Fact, God has promised to always meet my needs, Philippians 4.19. Faith, I trust him in this present situation based on his past faithfulness and the fact of him coming through. And then my feelings must conform and comply to the fact of how 
God has acted in the past and that I am trusting him in the present because of the fact of the scriptures and how he has been faithful in the past, really. Then the feelings, you know, you can't control your feelings. I don't know if you've noticed that. You cannot (laughs) tell them. You cannot preempt them. They just come. But you do not have to act upon them. I have feelings all day long that I do not act on because they are not helpful. And so he's saying, folks, he's passing living legacy on. He's saying, do not be the kind of person who is controlled by your emotions and your feelings. And I mean, honestly, pity the kind of faith in the walk of a person where God has to prove himself over and over with every new challenge. It's as if he never did anything in the past, and he always has to convince you of every new challenge on every new frontier that God can take care of you. And all of the dots are not connected before, and he's, not, he's saying in our context, what is he saying? He's saying there in your verse, look at, he's saying, look what he did to the nations who messed with you. Number one, remember Egypt. That's good with the choo-choo train. Thank you. You can park him somewhere in the garage. Remember Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth. Remember the ten plagues, the hail and the fire and the locusts and the darkness that you could feel. Remember the plunder. Those Egyptians were begging you to leave and sticking $100 bills into your pockets on your way out, giving you the keys to their cars and saying, please go, hurry, God bless you. Go and worship the Lord. He's saying, please, do not Forget all God's faithfulness in the past. That's how we go forward. Remember the Malachites, the mighty and fierce descendants of Esau in that unprovoked attack and how God came and just wiped them out. You see the pattern he's saying, Joshua is showing them how to go forward in confidence. He, he's naming the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. In Joshua 12, he lists 31 kings. He's saying the king of Jericho, the king of Ai, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, Lachish, Eglon, Jezer, Debir, and it goes on 31. And you know what he does that? 31 kings, because they're all thinking, well, what about the 32nd king? And number 33. There's a pattern here. One, two, three, four, all the way to 31. And he's saying, could you remember that and not throw that all all out and say, oh, no, number 32 is going to be my demise. Verse 5, he's saying there's still more battles to fight. Go forward in the faith that's grounded in historical facts. And so that's the point of every, all our last words when we say them. I am old and well advanced in years. My fight's over. I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. But your fight. So you want to say to them, you want to say to them, your fight, you still have a fight. Mine is over, and here's how you're going to be successful. Consider all that God has done in your past. He is the faithful one. And so I love what James Montgomery Boyce said. It hits on something I've said often. Here's the quote. The Bible knows nothing of some kind of leap of faith. Biblical faith says, look what God has done for you in history. 
Marvel at his handiwork all around you. Remember his acts. Reason and consider the thing, these things and build on them. The Bible does not abandon evidence. It builds faith on reason and understanding on faith. And so verse 5 paraphrases saying the same God who beat up the 31 kings will take care of 32, 33, 34 for you. He will punish them. He will push them out. You will take full possession. So passing the torch and leaving a legacy means to live with wisdom and to give glory to God. And then thirdly, to obey the word. And so here's what it says, 6 through 10. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to stand against you. One of, your, one of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. And so, uh, as I said, number three, obey the word. This is what he's calling them to do. Obey the, the word. Now, you're on your deathbed. Your Christian kids are all around you. And you get one word. One word to tell them how to live their lives. One word to keep them on the straight and narrow. One word to ensure those precious children of yours are going to be okay and that you'll see them someday. You get one word to say. Here's the word. Obey. Obey. Because if they obey God's word, they will be safe. They will be blessed. Life will work for them. That is the word. I mean, uh, Psalm 119, verse 19 says, How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? Jesus Christ said, Man doesn't live on food alone. That's not what sustains his life. It's every word that comes from the, the mouth of God. That's what makes him alive. The secret to an amazing satisfying, blessed life is to obey the word of God, the lamp to my feet, a light to my path. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his word he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And so it's not enough to just know the word, to study it, to hear it, or to quote it, but it is to obey it. Listen to Jesus' parable about those who uh, listen and put his word into practice. This is from last Sunday. Therefore, everyone who hears these words, Jesus, the Son of God speaking, everyone who hears and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone, listen to this, who hears the word, they both hear, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. They both hear, one obeys and is blessed, the other disobeys and is destroyed. James chapter 1 says, don't kid yourself. Do not deceive yourself. It's easy to think because I know it, I've heard it, I can quote it, that I'm okay. The Bible says you need to put it into practice or you're just kidding yourself. And so about this obedience that, that um, Josh, is, Josh was talking about, it has three aspects, all right? So the first one he's talking about is complete obedience, He says, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Now, complete obedience means that we obey the love your neighbor as yourself, the golden rule, as well as if any man will come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow. We and the world, the spiritually inclined world, loves to quote from our book. They love to say, you know, the golden rule, I live by the golden rule. Well, there's parts connected to that about sexual immorality and living for Christ our Lord and bowing the knee to him. This generation loves to call themselves spiritual and to cut and paste out of God's word. You cannot have part of it. He says you cannot turn to the left or to the right. If you want a blessed life, you must obey the word of God all the way in the right way, in a happy way, as Patty Anderson likes to tell her children how to do things. That's just stuck in my head here. And so be careful to obey the whole thing. I was talking to somebody who is a spiritual Buddhist, a universalist, who told me that he just does no harm and lives by Jesus' golden rule. And then I said, what do you, he said, I said, why do you live according to Jesus' teaching? He said, because he's a good teacher. And I said, well, can I tell you what else he said? I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What do you think of that? Well, I said, well, I don't agree with that. Well, you just said Jesus is a good teacher. Well, Jesus is a good teacher, my friend, when he says things convenient to you and makes it easy on your life. Oh, then it's cool. We just love everybody and everybody holds hands and everybody sings kumbaya and everything's going to be fine. And it's not like that. You've got to obey the whole thing. And that's what he says. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Just do what it says. It's so clear. There's a woman who was in this church and is no more. She came to Christ in our efforts. And then her family started to get saved. And I don't want to give you too much more information. But she said to me, I'm down with 
everything this book has to offer. I love Jesus' teachings, but I draw the line at the forgiveness thing. Excuse me? (laughs) I buy the whole thing except the forgiveness thing. Well, Jesus said, if you expect to be forgiven, you will need to forgive as well. Well, I can't do that. And so she's off because she obeys partly. Gals, when you marry a guy and you're at the altar and he says, do you promise to love and to cherish from this day forward and forsaking all others, keep yourself only for her? And he says, 90% yes. I do. (laughs) Virtually, yes, 98%. I'm there. I'm with you. I do. Uh, Give me a little wiggle room. You know I'm not signing the whole thing. You got a problem with 98%? Okay. 99%. I'm almost there all the way. Forget about it. Joshua says, that's not going to work. The second thing, complete obedience and uncompromising obedience. So he says in verses 7 and 8, do not associate with your unbelieving Canaanites. They're not all gone. There's a remnant in the land. He says, you've got to keep your distance, really. You can be friendly. You can be loving. You can be evangelistic. But you can't be chummy. Because when you're chummy with an unbeliever, sooner or later, you go from chum to chump. (laughs) Pastor Jim. And I use that title loosely. Carlin, can you confiscate this man's cell phone? Thank you. Well, I was just kidding, but (laughs) hand it over. Give it to him. Yeah, the phone. Thank you. Thank you. Take it away. Tomorrow, my office. 10 o'clock. All right. He says, watch out in verses 7 and 8. Exercise great caution with the pagans in the land. Don't tell me all about how Jesus was a friend to sinners and then use that to compromise your walk with God so that you can do what you really want to do. There's a difference between a holy, righteous, loving relationship and boundaries. There are consequences for unbelievers with believers. The Bible says, what do they have in common? He says, what does Satan and Jesus have in common? What does light and dark have in common? What are you so chummy about? Why are you so in love with that person who who can't even say grace? who mocks and ridicules your faith and and blasphemes against God? What what is the attraction there? You might want to check that out. 
because the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15. But it's prefaced with these words. Do not be misled. Now, why does he say that? Because we are with that concept. We don't realize what an impact unbelievers have on our lives when we're cozying up to them and not keeping the boundary lines there. He says, don't worship their gods, the gods of sex and pleasure and sensuality, gods of money and materialism. Uh, Don't put on this spiritual facade. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Titus chapter 1 and verse 16. Don't accept their values. Don't imitate their lifestyle. Don't adopt their philosophies. You hang out with a mocker, you will be mocking. That's how it goes. So he says, as he's leaving this earth and he's looking into the eyes of those he loves, and he says, watch out about your Canaanites. There will always be an ite near you, and you have to be very careful. He says, if you catch their disease from chumming out with them, you're going to get their fever. God's going to pull the plug, he says. Then God isn't going to fight your battles because um, you need to walk with him in faithfulness. And so to obey him is to love him as well. So obedience, thirdly, is born out of love. He says, the Lord has driven out these nations uh, To this day, nobody's been able to stand against you. Verse 10, uh, one of you uh, chases a thousand because the Lord, your God, fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord, your God. And so I repeated that just there because to obey God is to love him. To love him is to obey him. Uh, John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Don't buy for a second when anybody tells you, oh, I love God, and you look at their life, and they love sin as well. We all sin, we all fall short. But to say I love God, and I love something that God hates, makes you into a liar, says the Bible, not Pastor Ross. Now, I I just love this part. He's saying, you know, it takes a heart for God and a desire to please him to obey. We don't just obey because we have to obey some force in the sky, some dictator God. We are obeying because we love him and we're responding to all that he's done. And so obedience, he says, cleave to him. The word there in verse eight is from the Hebrew Genesis 2.24. When Adam cleaved with Eve, he says, cleave to God. Obey out of a love it will be much easier to obey God if you love him. You know Jason Gray's uh, Christian hit right now? It's a, a little old, but it's on Caleb. And it goes, give me rules, I'll break them. Show me lines, I will cross them. I need more than a truth to believe. I need a truth that lives, moves, and breathes to sweep me off my feet. It's got to be more like falling in love than something to believe in, more like losing my heart than giving my allegiance. 
don't want to obey anybody for any reason. Every cell in my body says, forget it. Forget you. <laughs> Why do I have to obey? But a God who laid down his life for me, a God who cares and created me and goes to prepare a place for me, I can obey somebody like that. And I get a glimpse of Jesus on the cross bearing my sins. And he says, Ross, could you just stay away from sexual immorality? I know you're going to want it with all your heart as a fallen man. But I, want, I need you to obey me. And I say, Lord, I love you for what you did for me. I didn't go looking for him. He came to me. He saved me. And the least I could do is to obey his command to me after what he's done for me. So finally, let's just read the last portion and the warning, all right? But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares, traps, whips on your back, hmm, and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed, but just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, so the Lord will bring on you all the evil he has threatened until he has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. So lastly, number four, a warning. He doesn't want to pass from this life without a sobering warning. He said some very nice things as we would all like to do on our deathbeds. We would like to say very cheerful things, very optimistic things, very hopeful things. Don't want to be a bummer on your deathbed. But you know what? Truthfully, when you're looking out there and you see those eyes and you know human nature, you want to say, oh, by the way, something's very important here. If you mess with him, you're going to destroy yourself. Do not wimp out and leave out the scary parts of the gospel because it's the truth. And the truth sets people free. They need to hear the whole package. And so some promises of God are without condition. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever trusts in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever, trust, boom, in, done, unconditional. I love James chapter 1 verse 5. Anybody need wisdom? Ask God. He generously gives to all without finding fault. In other words, he's just going to give you wisdom for ask. He's not going to check out your life. He's not going to make you qualify. He's not going to look to see if you deserve getting the wisdom you're asking for. He says, it's unconditional. Ask, you're in need, he'll give you wisdom. 
unconditionally. That's nice. (laughs) Now, some of the promises, the warning is they are conditional. Israel enters the land, and that's a fulfillment of God's promise. But the enjoyment of the land depends on their obedience to the word of God. God's faithfulness works both ways. He's faithful to bless you. You yield to come to him and find rest. And he says, you will find rest for your souls. And then he says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows, a man will reap. If you sow to your sinful nature, from that nature, you will reap destruction. God will not be mocked. You will not be able to sow to your flesh and your sinful desires and then have nothing happen to you and then be able to say, ha, see, look at how I've lived and nothing bad has happened. The Bible says you will never be able to say that because of the spiritual law. God will be faithful both ways. And so Joshua says, I don't want to leave without saying God will be faithful to bless you when you obey and under the new covenant, not to curse us, not to pour out his wrath on us because we are covered in the blood of Jesus symbolically, but he will chastise his children. He says, if, if God loves you and you mess up, he says, God will chastise you so that you can repent and have godly sorrow, not to pour out his wrath on you because we're under the new covenant. And so the most important really condition, he says here, is to remain separate and holy, not get infected by the wickedness of the Gentile nations, he says, or the peoples or the culture. He says there in verse 12, there's a prohibition against interracial marriage. Really what it is, is a prohibition for a believing Jew to marry a Canaanite who worships demons and devils. Uh, Moses was married to a Cushite, a black woman, an Ethiopian. So he's not talking about uh, interracial marriage there. He's talking about being unequally yoked, uh, a child of God marrying a Canaanite. It just isn't going to work for you or your children. And so there's a prohibition. Don't forget about Rahab. She was nicely incorporated into the people of God. So it wasn't a racial thing. It was a spiritual thing as it is today. And finally, he says, oh, your pagan lovers you love to flirt with, they will be snares, traps, whips on your backs, thorns in your eyes. I've got a couple pictures for you because uh, our sins that we flirt with, they don't advertise this. And so those are thorns. And he says, your pagan Canaanite lovers who you're flirting with, he said, just know this. They don't say, hey, I'm going to be thorns in your eyes. Keep it up because this is where we're headed. To gouge out your sight, you will become blind. That sounds very painful to me. But sin never comes to you and says that. The world never comes to you that. Satan never comes to you. He's an angel of light. Oh, this is beautiful and fun and thrilling, and you'll be fulfilled. But the Bible says, into your eyes, 
They will be a snare to you. What's a snare look like? It's a bear trap. Does that look like a lot of fun to you? No, he's saying, could you please, every time you think of that beautiful pornographic image, your beautiful Canaanite image, where it says, look, they're just two people, they were sexual beings, what you're so uptight about. God made us moral beings. Sex is to be expressed in holy ordinance of matrimony between a man and a woman. Anything outside of that is called fornication. And he says, God will judge fornicators. Be not deceived. Fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he says to the people of God, he looks out and he knows what's lurking inside of every man's heart, sinful. And he says, oh, when you watch the swagger of the Canaanite women, could you please associate this with it? Oh, when you're perusing, you see something, oh, that's just so beautiful. Just make the connection. On his deathbed, just make the connection. The thorns, I got, I got some pictures for the flogging. But you know what? I'm going to spare you. All right? In your mind's eye, do you get what a flogged back looks like? He's saying that's what they are. But you're never going to believe that unless you're walking by faith. And so these ungodly, thank you for the trap. These ungodly influences never advertise themselves as instruments of torture. They present themselves as wonderful things. But we must see past all of this. And so, um, so in conclusion, how do we pass the torch? Number one, we live with wisdom now. We let our lives be something people want to emulate. Number two, we give God the glory for every good thing that has ever come our way. Then we remind people that the past faithfulness of God is our present guarantee, not only this day, but every day to come. And finally, we obey the word of God all the way, the right way, in a happy way, teaching others to obey. Did you forget that the Great Commission? Listen to it. Go into all the earth. Preach the gospel. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, that's the hard part. To say, yeah, God loves you, and he has a moral code for you to abide by. Be holy. For he is holy. And Paul tells Timothy, the Lord knows everyone who belongs to him and let him who names the name of the Lord depart from evil and sin. You see? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and Joshua's heroic life. And one day we will meet him. Thank you, Father. We want to be like him. We want to finish well. We want to to pass on a living legacy to others for the goodness you have given to us. So thank you, God, 
It's only by your power that any of us have a leg to stand on and a hope of ending our lives well. It's all by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 